Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to Discover DEP, the official podcast of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Each week, we talk with DEP experts about how we protect and preserve New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. So that you'll never miss one of our podcasts, please subscribe to Discover DEP on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. Today we're joined by Bob Marshall to discuss the 1998 case New Jersey versus New York, a case that decided once and for all whether Ellis Island is in the jurisdiction of the state of New Jersey or the state of New York. Now, you're wondering why a DEP would we be interested in a case of that title? It doesn't sound like an environmental thing, but in fact, it was a case that settled a decades-old dispute and debate about the rightful ownership of Ellis Island. As many of you know, and as most of us can trace our ancestors' arrival here in the United States to Ellis Island, during the period it was open in the 19th, well into the 20th century, immigrants to the United States from Europe and other parts of the world came through Ellis Island, where they were processed by immigration officials before going on to mainland New Jersey to begin their new lives in the United States. For many decades, because of the historical importance of Ellis Island, New York State tried to claim ownership of the island, a typical New York State maneuver not unaccustomed to that sort of bullying. You know, they send their football teams over here and still want them to be called the New York Giants and the New York Jets. But we stood up to New York State and said, you know, Ellis Island, that's really in New Jersey. And they disputed it, and we took them to court. And as a result, we won that case. And we're here with one of the litigators who won that case for the state of New Jersey back in 1998. I remember at the time I was working for Governor Whitman, It was a very big deal, and in fact, the final victory of the case came just before her State of the State address that year, and I remember her being able to open that address by telling people that they'll be able to visit Ellis Island, New Jersey, and that line got a standing ovation in that speech. So it was a great case and a great victory for the state of New Jersey. So, Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, and I just wanted to step in a little bit. You mentioned ownership of the island, and it really was about jurisdiction. And what I explain to people is you own your house, specific piece of property, but the question is what town is it in? Right. In this case, the federal government owns the island. The question is what state is it in? Well, that's a, I appreciate that clarification right off the bat. As you can tell, if I had been litigating this case, we never would have gotten out past the first level. But well, first, we have a skilled lawyer yeah. who was able to handle this and all these issues. And I will tell you, Alex Trebek has not gotten it right yet. They've had two or three Jeopardy questions on the location of Ellis Island, and each of those questions were impossible to answer. Bob, tell us a little bit about kind of the facts behind this case where we were trying to settle who had jurisdiction over Ellis Island. Yeah, it's an interesting case. The first question is, why does it start in the U.S. Supreme Court? And when the founding fathers developed our Constitution, one of the biggest concerns is that sovereigns traditionally go to war over border disputes, and they did not want border disputes between states to be handled in lower courts. So it's called an original jurisdiction case, 
and it starts right in the Supreme Court of the United States. There was no lower court involvement. And the case started with New Jersey seeking leave to file a complaint, which was granted. And actually, the way it started was there was a serious accident on the island, and there was a decision by a lower court that it had occurred in New York. Raised the dispute of what state did the injury occur. And that would have had an effect in terms of which state the injured party would have been able to, if they were seeking to bring suit against somebody for the injury, the courts in which state would have jurisdiction over that. That's correct. That's correct. So it, so this case went right directly to the United States Supreme Court. Went to the Supreme Court. And actually, the, the boundary dispute between New York and New Jersey goes back to around the 1820s. And it was a situation where New Jersey was claiming as a sovereign state, took to, to the center of New York Harbor. And New York was claiming that under the terms of its charters from, from England, it took to the low water mark on New Jersey's shore. Now, it doesn't take much imagination to realize that New York could have completely cut off New Jersey's commerce. And New Jersey's position was that part of the reason we fought the Revolutionary War was to get out from under the English view of uh, who owns what and who's sovereign where. So New Jersey filed a complaint in the, in the Supreme Court in the 1820s, 1829, I believe, in which it asserted its claim that we took to the center of the river. New York ignored that complaint, did not respond at all. And when you think about it, this was before the Civil War. States at this time were not so sure who was, had more authority, the states or the federal government, whether it was equal or whether the federal government had supreme power. So New York ignored the complaint until the point where a subpoena was actually issued, and I got a chance to look at this firsthand. A subpoena was issued, signed by Chief Justice John Marshall and President Andrew Jackson Mm. in 1829. And I remember the words in the subpoena and said, notwithstanding any excuses, you are hereby ordered to appear before the Supreme Court of the United States, or this court shall proceed ex parte, meaning without New York. So did New York eventually show up? New York suddenly got very serious about negotiating a settlement. And in 1834, New Jersey and New York entered into what was, which was ratified by Congress, the Compact of 1834, which established, among other things, that the boundary line was through the center of New York Harbor. However, Bedloe's Island, which is the Statue of Liberty and Ellis Island, which at the time was known as Oyster Island, although they were located on New Jersey's side of the harbor, that because of New York's long-standing jurisdiction and policing of that area, that that this island, Bedloe Island, and uh, there may have been another one, would be retained in New York jurisdiction. So that compact was decided long before the Statue of Liberty arrived on Bedloe's Island and long before Ellis Island was turned into a, the immigration Correct. center that it was. Correct. And at the time, the Oyster Island or Ellis Island was about three acres in size. I, I was really interested to hear that New York was asserting that a decision made by an English king 
would still control things even after the revolution. Although I suppose I shouldn't be too surprised because, of course, New York City was a loyalist city throughout the revolution. The British controlled New York City for, during the entire duration of the revolution, and there were many, many loyalists in New York City. So perhaps even into the 1820s, maybe some of those loyalists in their progeny were still mistakenly assuming that the king had any authority over anything here in the United States. Yes, and I, I think one of the stories that meant the most to me during the proceedings was the clerk of the Supreme Court of the United States brought out that subpoena and read it to the New York Council in New Jersey. And I overheard New York's council say, God, this is awful. <laughs> and and we, of course, thought it was terrific because it underscored the arrogance of New York would not even acknowledge the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court yeah. in 1829. Yeah. So it, it was hooray for our side. that yeah. it, 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 It's not just New Jersey being uppity today, but it was New York being arrogant in, in 1829 and continuing with some of the arrogance to today. Wow. So you mentioned that Ellis Island, or what became Ellis Island, Oyster Island back then, was only about three acres when the compact was reached in the first part of the 1830s. But of course, over the years, it has expanded its size. And, and about how large is Ellis Island today? It's over 21 acres. Over 21 I'm, I'm trying acres. to recall if it was 21 or 27. So part of our argument then in the case that was brought in more recent years was, I, I presume, to say that uh, those original three acres that New York had historically and customarily controlled would still be considered New York, but everything that had been added over the course of the years would be then in New Jersey's jurisdiction. Yeah, that, that's correct. And it's an interesting observation because you have to picture this. You had a three-acre island on New Jersey's side of the harbor completely surrounded by New Jersey waters. And that's partly why Jeopardy gets it wrong. When they, when they ask what state it's located in, well, part, it's under the jurisdiction of New York, the original three acres, but it's surrounded by New Jersey waters, so it's in New Jersey. And ultimately, the court decided that, that the fill, the 20-plus acres of fill, which surrounded the three-acre island, was part of New Jersey. Interesting, uh, kind yes. of uh, splitting the baby in half, if you will. Yeah, and and there's Solomonic decision, right? And and there were two major legal issues that that New Jersey needed to overcome to prevail in the case. Number one, from a matter of fact and law, that that fill under the Compact of 1834, as a legal and factual matter, was part of New Jersey. But the other legal hurdle New Jersey faced is is a concept known as prescription and acquiescence, which most people might think of as squatter's rights, mm. meaning what was the perception? Who who asserted control over the decades? Did people believe it was part of New York? Did, did, were there, was anyone believe that it was part of New Jersey? Mm. Did New Jersey do anything to assert its jurisdiction or let people believe it was part of New Jersey? So both of those hurdles we had to meet. And was one more difficult to meet than the other? I, I think given some of the folks we had at DEP in the Tidelands office that were expert with uh, air photo interpretation and, and old surveys, 
that was actually the easier hurdle to meet. The prescription and acquiescence was another issue because New York boasted prior to trial that where did people on Ellis Island get married? Where did they go to the hospital? Where was their mail sent? All these things that that really lent itself towards prescription and acquiescence. Mm. But there was a little fact that up to the trial, I'm not sure New York really focused on. They they actually did have death certificates that said Ellis Island, New York. They actually did have marriage certificates that said Ellis Island, New York. And they had postmarks on postcards that said Ellis Island, New York. One of our expert witnesses was the historian for the for the National Immigration and Naturalization Service. And when I was preparing, I handled most of the witnesses during the trial, including the direct and cross-examination of New York and New Jersey's expert witnesses. But in preparing for the case, there was at one point where Marion Smith with the Immigration Service said, all these certificates are all dated before the fire. And, and, <laughs> and I said... Okay, and what's the significance? I was aware there was a massive fire. The structures were originally wood. They burned to the ground. They rebuilt the experiment station. And she said, well, all the facilities for marriage, the hospital for births and deaths, as well as the post office, would have been on the original island. And New Jersey was not asserting claim over the original three acres. We were So all of this evidence that New York had boasted in, had didn't mean too much right because we were not claiming the original island so we when everything was the rebuilt the hospital and the post office and and uh, the death certificates that was rebuilt on the fill that created the larger island well this was the issue new york didn't look for evidence of birth certificates marriage certificates death certificates so they had no evidence of of Certificate saying Ellis Island, New York, uh, after the fire. Ah, uh, okay. They, they stopped. They they were so confident with what they had that they rested on that. Uh, um, and because so, they didn't have anything after the fire, when did the fire? The fire take was place? in eighteen ninety seven. Oh, so the fire was a hundred years before the case was brought, and they had no evidence from the past century. Yeah, well, they hadn't <laughs> looked. New York had an expert, Alan Kraut, from. American University, and he, in his claims, he very boastfully said that every immigrant that landed on Ellis Island got a card, a landing card, and, and the first line said, when landing in New York. And he had four of these cards in evidence, and during the trial, when I cross-examined him, I asked him where he found these cards, and he said he made it a hobby of his for the last several decades, and he would go to flea markets and garage sales. And And I said, well, where were these garage sales? And he said, uh, well, in the Manhattan area. And I said, where did you reside? He said, well, I, I was born and raised in New York. And I said, did you ever travel to any garage sales in New Jersey or <laughs> flea markets? And uh, Basically, he hadn't looked. He hadn't looked. And I believe there was over 12 million people. It may have been as many as 20 million. When they left Ellis Island, they went to the New Jersey Railroad. That's right. Travel across the That's country. Right. 
And there may may have been just as many or more Ellis Island folks that, that traveled to New Jersey as opposed to through New York. So, so I think we caught we caught New York without having really made a, a good search of the evidence. And, and we were able to, to convince the court of that. So it sounds like New York was overconfident. They were. They were. And but but I, I think I, I, I believe we had a great trial team. There was four of us. We had Joe Yanati, who's now an appellate judge. He was the deputy director of appellate advocacy. Wonderful. We had another attorney, Patrick D'Almeida, who's now the head of the tax court. And he was our technical person on all kinds of procedural matters with the Supreme Court. We had Bill Anderson, who did all our research in the archives. And I was the one with the trial experience. So I handled most of the witnesses. So did all this occur in front of the full court, the full Supreme Court? No, actually, there was a proceeding before a special master. It was in the Supreme Court building. It was the first trial ever conducted in the Supreme Court building in the United States. Wow. And that was a six-week trial at the Supreme Court during the months of July and August. It was exhausting for me. I lost about 15 pounds during the six weeks. (laughs) <laughs> wow. It, very stressful. Yes. Very stressful. But it, and then did the special master make a recommendation to the to the court, or how did that work? The special master then made a recommendation to the full court, and for the most part, he sided with New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And he he had some questions about equity, whether it made sense to divide the island piecemeal between the two states, and that he should reform the boundary and the and the full court agreed with New Jersey, and we filed exceptions. We said, you just don't change the boundary because you think it's odd. Yeah. The boundary is the boundary. Right. And the and the full court agreed with us. That's cool. Um, so and did, the, you, did, you, did you have to appear before the full court as well? Uh, we did. Joe Unati handled the actual oral argument, but the whole team was there. That must have been uh, something. Yeah, and the odd thing is, is uh, we the the we never expected it to be. We had the majority opinion, we had a concurring opinion, and then we had a dissenting opinion. And uh, most surprise to us was Associate Justice Scalia, who's a New Jersey boy. Yes, he ruled against us. He did. Yes, he did. The only dissent. He was the only, well, him and Thomas. He and they, Thomas were the only right, dissents. Right, they ruled against us. So wow. that was very surprising. And then a member of the court who grew up in Brooklyn said uh, her whole life she th- always thought of Ellis Island as part of New York, but the facts of the case taught her differently. Was that Justice Ginsburg? Yes, it was. Isn't that interesting? How so that the New out. Jersey guy voted against us in the... Uh, in the New York? Yes. Voted so, in favor of New Jersey. Right. Wow. Yeah. The world turned upside down. The world turned upside <laughs> down. And it, we never, usually these cases are fairly tedious. They're border disputes between Mississippi and surrounding states because right. the river is always Moving changing in. its course yeah. and very archaic water law, you know, out west. And our best understanding uh, was that uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist loved United States history. Mm. and that he had never seen a case that took in the whole history of the United States. Wow. Because we were delving into all kinds of old old English charters. Wow. And it, right from the beginning, 
to present day. Very cool. So, we, so what has been the practical impact of this ruling by the court that most of Ellis Island is in New Jersey? Has there been any besides a great morale boost for the state of New Jersey? Well, as attorneys, we do what our client says, and then our client does what it will with the decision. We did prevail. Arguably, that would mean we would have taxing authority on any transactions that occurred in, on the New Jersey side of the island. It would mean that if there were any construction at one time, there was a plan to build a, a, a worldwide business conference center on the filled portion of the island. Mm. That has not occurred, but if it did, that would be something where... Those would be New, New Jersey jobs then. That yeah. would be New Jersey jobs. The filled portion of the island contains the old hospitals, fairly institutional in character. The National Park Service, at the, at the time it reconstructed the, the main hall, did not see fit to do that part of the island because mm. it was fairly institutional. Mm. And there were a lot of structures like that throughout the country. The island was used probably a lot for treating soldiers coming back from World War II. Wow. For convalescent care. They also pioneered electroshock therapy on that side of the island. Um, I actually saw the equipment that, uh, I don't recall the name of the doctor that wow. uh, pioneered that, but uh, his equipment was still there wow. in the decaying wreckage of, the building. uh, of these buildings <laughs> uh, that covered with weeds and vines. It's like a scene out of you know, uh, some horror movie, or some something. horror movie, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, did this case set any precedent that has been used in the years since, or was it truly just a unique decision? Besides, don't mess with New Jersey. Um, I, I, I think it was it's unique in that they were interpreting a very complex compact of 1834, which is not a model of of clarity, and. I mentioned before the lesser hurdle was the legal change, the legal and factual as to where the fill was and whether under the compact language. What we had in our back pocket was former Associate Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, who's an icon yes. in Supreme Court's history. A good person to have in your back pocket. Yes, and, and in fact, there's a huge picture of him in the hallways. And we... We forced New York to actually utter the phrase, Justice Holmes was wrong <laughs> when he issued an earlier opinion yeah. interpreting the Compact of 1834. And just to hear New York have to say that, we knew that was, the Supreme Court would not take lightly anyone saying that Oliver Wendell Holmes was wrong. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah talk about an icon of the court. Correct, yeah. correct. Wow. It'd be like yeah. saying George Washington was a bad president or something. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this uh, case must be one of the highlights among many in your career here in New Jersey, Bob. Yeah, I would say that, there, that I've been urged by some attorneys to start a Supreme Court Trial Lawyers Association because... When you stop to think about it, how many people have a trial in the Supreme Court? Yeah. And unless you have an original jurisdiction case, you probably wouldn't. Yeah. So it's a unique club, I'd say, and to spend six weeks yeah. on the case in the Supreme Court building and all its history and going to the cafeteria and seeing the associate justices dining there, it was uh, quite an uh, 
quite a career capper. Yeah, I would think so. Well, that's great. Well, I remember, as I mentioned earlier, what a great victory this was for the state of New Jersey. And it's fascinating to know that Ellis Island, which has played such an important role in American history, and which so many Americans, probably in the tens, if not hundreds of millions of Americans, can trace their roots to Ellis Island, to know that it's been decided once and for all that the vast majority of Ellis Island is in the state of New Jersey. That's where it should be. New Jersey, what better place to start your life in the United States than come to New Jersey? Uh, that was true then. It's true today. And I'm so glad we've had an opportunity here almost 10 years after that case to revisit it and hear a little bit of this fascinating history about uh, how history is made. Mm-hmm. So, Bob, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great discussion. I've really enjoyed it and really appreciate and thank you uh, for the role that you and your colleagues played in ensuring that from time immemorial, when people talk about Ellis Island, they're talking about Ellis Island, New Jersey. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.